0: degenerate angels. I'm trying to think if I uh, missed anything. Yeah, I actually missed a lot, but that's all I know. And so that's all you're going to get today. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Health is Hell. I have a feeling this week, we have a lot of people who are new because of the subject matter. So I'd like to take a quick minute and say, sup, My name is Ali Weiss. I am a Z-list actor, comedian, host, writer, living in downtown New York City, and I created this show Health is Hell as a way of breaking down taboos diving deep into all of the people, places, things, ideas, concepts that society tells us are socially unacceptable, forbidden, rude, crude, that are, you know, it's going to land us in hot water if we decide to uh, dip our toes into it. It's going to burn those toes right off. Anything that makes a Karen clutch her pearls is something that gets me moist, that makes me excited, that gets me out of bed in the morning. And this this soul cycle drama, this expose that I am dropping today is no exception. So, I don't want to waste too much time uh, having me blabber on about my own bullshit when this is a very long episode today, chock full of so much information. But I did want to give a little bit of background as to why I am particularly interested in this topic. So, like many of you, I uh, found out about the soul cycle drama through the media. Um, I heard the various stories, including the studio manager in Palo Alto who said that Conor Kelly called her Aunt Jemima. I obviously heard about the many complaints against Conor Kelly from women who rode with him at the Greenwich, Connecticut location who got sexually involved with him and then their spouses found out. Uh, There was Lori Cole in New York who was repeatedly reported for her behavior and uh, discriminated against a pregnant woman in one of her classes, taking her out of the front row and putting her in the back, also fat shaming workers at the Tribeca location. And of course the famous Stacy Griffith who cut the line to get a Moderna vaccine by claiming that she was an educator and that because she helped her students keep their respiratory systems nice and healthy that they might be able to beat coronavirus by doing soul cycle or prevent getting coronavirus by getting soul cycle which is the single most ridiculous thing i've ever heard and i have heard some ridiculous shit for those of you who don't know the current vaccine guidelines in new york city from the health department says that these are the people who are eligible for the vaccine healthcare workers grocery store staffers residents over 65 and teachers like people who teach kindergartners professors you know people who are actually bettering the uh, the, the the well I was gonna say bettering the lives and then I, I guess in some cases exercise does better the life actually in a lot of cases exercise betters the life of people but the fact that Stacey Griffith as a soul cycle instructor, put herself on par with somebody who actually like molds and shapes the mind of a young person, and then also claimed that her classes could potentially prevent her clients from getting coronavirus. I was like, this is fuckery on another level. J'adore. I am obsessed. But As somebody who is a privileged white woman living in one of the capitalist capitals of the world, I am surrounded by tons of people who have been fanatical about boutique fitness, cold fitness for a really long time, including a lot of people that I'm very close to. And look, I'd be lying if I said that I myself at at certain points in my life did not become fanatical about various forms of exercise. I was in and then emerging from a horribly abusive relationship emotionally a couple years back in what was it 2016 2017 and my way of coping with it was to become like obsessed with bar classes it became this ritualistic thing for me where I just reveled and putting on my leggings and my leotard and putting my hair up into a bun and working my muscles until they were visibly shaking in the mirror and when I was in these classes critiquing my appearance and telling myself that I was going to become the most beautiful lean elegant version of myself But it went way beyond self-betterment and into the territory of, you know, me when I wasn't in these classes, thinking about the next time that I was going to book a class, wondering if I should go twice a day, wondering how many calories I burnt and constantly examining my body to see how it was shape-shifting. And I dumped so much of myself into these classes that I was formerly dumping into my boyfriend who, you know, was not a, a... What's the word I'm looking for? Recept- receptible, receptacle vessel, uh, whatever. I'm not going to try to be smarter than I actually am. The point was he was not equipped to handle our relationship. He was a drug abuser. He was a lot older than me. His shit was not together. And the reason that I say this is not to talk about my female trouble it's to talk about the fact that I have direct experience with feeling like my life is out of control, not wanting to dive headfirst into solving my own emotional issues. And so instead dumping that into exercise. But if it's not exercise, There are so many other void fillers that we all partake in. Booze is a huge one. And that's something that I've obviously spoken about quite a lot on this show as I've been learning how to manage my own alcohol consumption. Smoking cigarettes, smoking weed, doing harder drugs, spending money. That's a huge one. Shopping for shit we don't need, going out to eat when we could easily cook for ourselves, online shopping, you know? Even shopping at Sephora, you know, loading up on beauty products to try to better ourselves, which we tell ourselves is like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to be the best version of myself. And in actuality, it's just a way to fill a void. We all have voids. That is an innate part of the human experience to have voids, to feel lonely, to wonder if we're going to die without a partner, to feel inadequate, to feel like we're not living up to our full potential, feeling lost and directionless. And like, what is the meaning of life? That is the question that that uh, shapes everything I do on this podcast and everything I do in all forms of my work. What is the meaning of life? Is there a meaning? And so, thinking about that particular question, I've often thought a lot about how it's really remarkable that not more people talk about how in the way that soul cycle is set up, that room is like a church. It's in like a half circle. I don't, is it in a half circle or in like a full circle? But regardless, it's like a darkened room illuminated by candles. It's mysterious. It forces you inside your own head. And there is one person on a, on a podium, on a literal pedestal above you, illuminated, guiding you through what is supposed to be a spiritual experience. And you are paying this person to do so. And you are blindly trusting that they know something that you don't. You are blindly trusting that they have some sort of a connection to a higher power. Now, granted in church, you're trusting that the higher power is God that this person has a connection to or in temple, right? Right. In Soul Cycle, you believe that this person has their shit together simply because they're fit, or knows something that you don't simply because they were able to land a job at Soul Cycle, and that was the most amazing thing about putting this episode together. I'm sorry this took so long. I edited it myself. It was a lot of of getting stories, condensing stories, figuring out how to fucking use GarageBand. I'm sorry it takes so long, but he, but here it is. And and the most interesting thing that I learned throughout this process was that no one on any end of the machine that is SoulCycle, whether it's corporate or the instructors or the front desk workers or the people taking their classes, no one has their shit together. And why is that? Because all of us are human. Humans do not have their shit together. And especially humans who choose to participate in a cult environment, in a one-size-fits-all environment, in a sheep environment where you blindly trust these rules and regulations that somebody else has given to you, the person in charge doesn't know something that you don't. They just know how to manipulate you. And so I hope that this hour and a half is going to be illuminating for you, not just in how disturbing SoulCycle's practices are, but in how All of us are suffering from the same feeling of emptiness and having that same desire for community and collective consciousness and something bigger than ourselves. We all just choose different ways to go about filling up that need. All right, guys, should we get this tea piping hot, scalding and pouring out of every kettle we can get our fucking hands on? I think we should. So I'm going to start by reading some letters I received. Uh, For all the people who expressed interest in sharing their stories, I sent out a questionnaire. And I had originally asked for uh, submissions to be in the form of voice notes because I always think it's more impactful to hear someone's stories, you know, in their own words, but their own voices since they're the people who went through it. But I want to be respectful of the people who didn't feel comfortable having their voices heard and uh, I will do my best to do their stories justice. So we are going to start with a very high profile former instructor. Okay. I was a senior instructor from 2013 to 2018. I was a fan of the workout. There was a great sense of community. It had a startup vibe and they paid very well. I couldn't go on the treadmill for a bit because I hurt my knee. So a friend recommended I try soul. I fell in love with the workout right away. And then they asked if I would teach. I had a dance background and they liked to hire dancers Intense and abusive is an understatement about the training process. I was in training when it was six weeks plus four community rides that you had to pass. Training was four hours a day where you were expected to ride when the other trainees were doing their practice teaching. We were also required to ride three classes a week and were encouraged to do more than that. I lost an absurd amount of weight. Janet and Mel were the scary ones in training. The idea was that if you couldn't hear bad critique from them, you wouldn't be able to hear it from the riders. Janet asked one instructor when the last time she masturbated was because it seemed like she, quote unquote, needed release. They told some girls to only teach in sports bras so that more men would be interested in taking their class. Janet asked one instructor if she was on drugs after one community ride in front of the entire training group. I've been in critiques with Mel where the critique was longer than the actual class. A lot of the times they wanted to make you cry and break so that you either quit or started listening to them. One person was definitely fired for wearing a shirt that said, fuck you, pay me after they changed our pay structure. But it was said, I've been in a meeting with Mel where she said a specific instructor who was coming back from having a baby needs to lose 100 pounds, and they're figuring out how to tell her about it. The verbiage I was told to use when someone was out of shape or overweight was to say, quote, we need you in your top level of fitness in order to be able to perform this job. The only time I heard them shame about sexuality was when the programming team, which is the team of people doing the schedule and such, named Bethesda's studio Belesda, because the four female instructors there were all lesbians. Melanie Whalen also once mocked a Chinese accent in a meeting about expansions potentially to Hong Kong, saying on a company-wide Zoom, we a want which was one of the more insane things she did in public. We were never rewarded for shaming clients, but it was a hidden understanding that a lot of the teachers who were rude and bitchy were the most successful. So that behavior became learned. So the next question I asked was, did being on the podium give you a God complex? They said, yes. And I saw it happen to everyone who was successful. You're on a podium raise above everyone with a spotlight on you. And everyone is hanging on to your every word with their endorphins high, screaming and shouting when you help them, quote unquote, conquer their fears. The God complex is real. I've heard instructors talk about when they still taught drunk from the night before or still rolling on Molly from the night before being like, it's okay because they love me. So I followed up for some more information about drug and alcohol abuse there. And this is what they said. So the people hired in a lot of these companies are performers, people from corporate backgrounds who are leaving the corporate life, etc. A common question when being hired is like, Are you the life of the party, or are you a party starter, etc., because they need you to be energetic and fun to a class full of people. In turn, you find out through the grapevine who likes to party hard. Since our schedules are pretty unconventional, it opens up a lot of time for us to party. On weekends in my region, you would see instructors doing tons of cocaine and a lot of molly. Teaching drunk wasn't really a thing because it's pretty hard to do it, and you would probably vomit. One person did get fired for teaching a class wasted, though. He accidentally kicked his computer off the stand, and there was no music for a second, and he also took two songs to realize he had no shoes on. But there was an instructor who passed away in 2011, I believe, was the year. Everyone knew this instructor partied very hard and lived very close to the edge. She'd show up to teach a 7 a.m. class in her outfit from the night before with her heels in her hand she passed away on Christmas Day. No one really talks about what happened or how she passed and her family insists it was not drug related, but there's only so much your heart can take when you're doing very intense cardio with minimal rest and also jump-starting your heart with drugs all weekend. In my training group, when Janet asked that one girl if she was on drugs during her community ride, she went into the story about the instructor who had passed and said, look, We don't know how they died, but we do know they lived very close to the edge. I've known people that have gone to happy hour and then taught a class, though. I've definitely known people who were still rolling on Molly from the night before. It became a big issue at one point, and corporate was jumping in to suggest drug testing, but then realized that too many of them do drugs recreationally, and drug testing is expensive. I just always got nervous seeing instructors blowing rails of coke till 3 a.m., Then waking up to teach three classes in a row, like your heart will eventually just give up. So my next question was, what was the craziest shit you've witnessed or done at the studio? And they said, Wayne from D.C. had numerous sexual harassment complaints until he was finally fired when every female employee said they would walk out if he wasn't. He was Michelle Obama's favorite instructor, so they were reluctant to let him go. Connor has had so many sexual harassment issues. He took my class one time and wrote on the podium for me. He was so inappropriate up there that one writer called to complain for months, saying it made her uncomfortable to return. They changed the pay structure in 2017. The majority of us made a significant amount less. I was losing about $1,000 per month. They told me it was a raise. They told me they had to start charging staff for water because Trump pulled out of the Paris climate accord. Jordan Kaffenbaum, Sarah Kiernan, and Kathleen Toth were the programming team that named Bethesda Belezda. Jordan is currently suing Seoul for wrongful termination but the three of them have an HR complaint stack higher than most. Sarah also slept with a couple instructors and they got preferential treatment. This was the one that I thought was the craziest thing this person listed. Fitness certification is not required to work at SoulCycle. You can seriously hurt people if you're not certified in fitness. There is one week of training that they talk about anatomy and that's about it. But people truly have no idea what muscles work and what they do and how to train them. It's a shock that they aren't sued about this. Speaking of certification, there were two client deaths in my time there. The first one that I remember, we had to recertify everyone in CPR because no one had been certified since training and you need to redo it every two years. Over half the staff was expired and someone died. The second one, the teacher had so much PTSD, she had to quit. The staff was absolutely so mean to her about the incident when she was clearly suffering from PTSD. And my last question to this instructor was, you know, there's this idea of... uh, instructors helping clients to conquer their fears and I asked if there was a particular methodology that they were taught in training and this is what the instructor said. At least when I was in training we were taught to follow a specific flow that would lure people in. First song or two were to quote-unquote seduce the rider and we would speak slowly and softly. Next we would quote-unquote pop the party and be energetic through the party zone of the class. Then arms would happen when people sat down and you were supposed to be energetic, entertaining, and educational. Be fun and teach them what muscles they're using, even though, again, no instructor was required to be certified in fitness and barely knew anything about anatomy. After that was when the endorphins were highest and was when we were supposed to speak the most inspirationally. I was the soulful and heroic moment that they wanted. Within that flow was a lot of freedom to say basically whatever we wanted. You could be soulful in the party zone, etc. But the trick was to get people when their endorphins were high. I remember one instructor in training telling us to be mindful of making eye contact with people during the arm series and such, because by that time in the candlelight, when we're sweaty and our endorphins are high, eye contact can be very intense for people and make them hook on to you. It was hard to tell if she was encouraging it or discouraging it. And yeah, the uh, ego absolutely trickled into my regular life. A lot of my friends were friends from Seoul. A lot of them knew me in class. And in my region, I became kind of a local celebrity because of the people who would take my class and the popularity of it. It's hard to say if it improved or hurt my life, but I definitely reached a point where I needed a reality check. This next email letter comes from somebody who worked on the corporate side of Cycle. So in their offices from the top down where they uh, make the magic or the lack thereof happen. Here we go. When I started working at SoulCycle's corporate office, I was already hardcore into indoor cycling classes, but hadn't gotten into SoulCycle because honestly, I couldn't afford it. But when you're an employee, you ride for free. So from the day I got hired, I became very into SoulCycle. I started going daily, sometimes twice daily. At the time, I wanted to love and support what was happening in those studios. And at times I really, truly did. But in hindsight, there was some eyebrow-raising moments happening that I was ignoring because I wanted to love and be loyal to my brand, like instructors talking about how this will make you skinny, how Soul Cycle will change your life, how who you are now isn't who you want to be. Where I was mentally is kind of where I always am mentally. I always want to become more fit, and I always want to feel better about myself. It's my lifelong struggle. I felt like working for a fitness brand was finally going to give me the tools I needed to whip my ass into shape and make me feel good. When it came to SoulCycle, it was all about hype, status, being in the know, and being a part of this club that made you somehow better, cooler, who knows? I always found it so strange how the brand touted inclusivity and love, but only to those who could afford it. And by not offering a membership, it created this world for people to join this club of sorts for $35 a ride. Therefore, in my mind, saying, if you can find $35 just this once, you can experience the magic. But if you want it again, well, that'll cost you. Getting hired at SoulCycle was like any other job. I did a few rounds of interviews, excuse me, interviews by phone. They had me come in and meet with people I would work with directly. It was all pretty normal. The thing is, though, unless you're interviewing for a very high-level role, mine was middle of the pack, you're not going to meet the top dogs, the people pulling the strings, making the decisions, and impacting the company culture. My team was great, but the C-level employees didn't practice what the company preached by any means— When I started, Melanie Whalen was still the CEO, but besides her and maybe one or two other women, it was a heavily male-dominated leadership team, leading a brand that attracts a primarily female audience, which felt off-putting. And to say these men felt like overgrown frat brothers was an understatement. We would have these elaborate brainstorms about how to actually use our platforms for good and how we could create change in our communities. But as soon as they would reach the top tier of approvals, they would get shut down. Every half-assed apology, statement, charity contribution, etc. that you've ever seen come out of SoulCycle started out as something beautiful, well-written, thoughtful, and brave. I can promise you that. But by the time those communications or action plans made it to a customer-facing level, they had been ripped apart, a shell of their former selves. So my next question to her that I put in this questionnaire I sent to everyone was like, what's the craziest shit you've witnessed at the studio? So she gave me two parts. I remember being in a class once and the instructor decided she was not into me that day. When you're an employee, you get placed on a bike right before class starts. And if the class is pretty full, you don't get much of a seat selection. I had been placed front row, not by choice, by necessity. These instructors take their front row pretty seriously. It's usually the best riders, the riders that live and die at the SoulCycle handlebars. I guess this instructor, who has already been called out in the media quite a bit for her behavior in classes... Wasn't pleased by my performance, and during the class, had me give her my name and proceeded to call me out for not having my resistance high enough or not doing the moves right, etc. It was low key bullying, and I was like, if I weren't an employee, I would have some serious issues with paying $35 to be called out in front of 50 plus people. Nowhere in the Soul Cycle Manifesto does it promote rider shaming. But most of my time wasn't spent in a studio it was spent in the office. I remember the day they told us about the Stephen Ross news coming out. Melanie got up in front of the whole office and gave us a very cold briefing with very few details. Everyone was taking to Google to get a bit more information. We started working on the comms for it, but were met with so much pushback when we wanted to denounce our relationship with Ross and Trump by association. When we wanted to finally put our money where our mouth was and say, hey, we acknowledge our parent company is in bed with Ross, but we are autonomous, we don't stand for what he stands for, we don't support those beliefs, etc., we were ultimately told to write a generic statement and, more or less, wait for it all to blow over. It was upsetting to say the least. SoulCycle laid off a lot of people in 2019, me being one of them. At the time, I was terrified, but in hindsight, it was a blessing in disguise. I was slacked on a Monday morning by a woman I had never spoken to. She asked me to come to a conference room for a quote-unquote quick chat. Once there, this unknown HR rep and one of the aforementioned C-level employees started making small talk. I have never, not once, spoken one-on-one to either of those people in my time at Seoul. The C-level frat star then says to me, well, I know we haven't even spoken before, and I'm sorry it has to be under these circumstances, and then I knew I was being laid off. I had a ton of questions and was told, we can't answer that, we can't answer that. At a later date, I learned many people were laid off that day, and the way the process works is that an HR rep and a C-level employee need to be in the room. I worked closely on a day-to-day basis with one of the C-levels, but she was not the one to give me the news. Rather, they stuck me with a random man who knew nothing about me or what I had done at the company. It felt like a total lack of compassion and care to randomly assign members of leadership to lay these people off rather than properly assign them to people who could actually speak to their role. He said things like, this has nothing to do with your performance in the role and you've done such a great work or done such great work, despite the fact that he acknowledged at the beginning of the conversation that we had never spoken. It was cold, it was gross, and it was probably the best thing that could have happened. I just didn't know it at the time. Here's my big takeaway with SoulCycle. The problems are at the top. The top instructors, the top members of members of leadership, even the top clients and writers who continue to funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars into the machine that can't seem to get their shit together all in the name of fitness. These are the people who are perpetuating this toxic environment that uses inclusive marketing and language as a mask for who they really are, a money hungry corporation. The intentions were likely good at some point, but the need for money and status overpowered the kind hearted foundation. And now all that's left are some rich men and women with a company that promotes instructors with God complexes and a do anything for money attitude. I say this because I know it to be true. The everyday sole employee is likely a good person who was attracted to the brand by a promise of inclusivity and love. And that person stays in the hopes of making that message true. Don't take your frustrations out on them. Aim your anger at the top. Because the bullying, the racism, and the body shaming, it grew from a set of leaders that let it happen and didn't find it necessary to stop it because it made them money. All right, this next email is from somebody who worked at the desk of SoulCycle. My location was a new location in the DC area. Famous or more popular instructors would try out our studio and leave when their following didn't come there with them. I worked at the front desk. I was already a SoulCycle fan and honestly wanted free classes. I loved that the classes let me escape from the outside world and felt meditative to me. And it felt so good when instructors would shout me out during class. I believe other people do SoulCycle because they like that recognition and become obsessed with the instructors. They come to class early for FaceTime with them. They tag them in their Insta stories for a chance to be reshared. They spend hundreds a month for this person to pay attention to them. It just doesn't sit right with me because it's kind of like paying for a person to pretend to be your friend. I have not heard from the sole instructors who were my quote-unquote friends since my last class in March 2020. People also believe that they're getting this amazing workout coming out drenched in sweat. The reason they were drenched in sweat was yes, partially the workout, but most likely the fact that the room was kept at 80 degrees and instructors discouraged us from turning on the fans. Some instructors definitely treated the desk worse than others. The diva behavior you would experience if you forgot to put their shoes out or something was just a little off about their bike settings was ridiculous. Some instructors were really friendly, usually new instructors, but the others you could tell were extremely arrogant. I had one instructor who on my first day demanded, my first day demanded that I blow dry her shoes because they were sweaty from class. Wow. Ew. Oh my God. And big God complex energy from my manager. She was in her early 20s and had just graduated college. She treated it like a sorority and was very rude and passive aggressive to people she didn't like. My assistant manager also made repeated racist comments, including ones alluding to police brutality to the singular black employee that HR did nothing about and it ended in the woman quitting. There was a rider who was so obsessed with one of the instructors to the point where this girl was hanging around the studio, hoping the instructor would offer her a ride home, including falling asleep outside the studio doors. It was supremely weird and so awkward. We had riders who were no longer allowed to take specific instructors' classes because their obsessions with them and harassment outside of class. The studio just generally had an unhealthy culture that was perpetuated by the management team. They want you to eat, sleep, live, and breathe SoulCycle, which is a bit much for a job that's paying you $12 an hour and is mostly janitorial work. The studio had clicks, and I always felt on the outside because SoulCycle wasn't my only job or the only thing I cared about. I wanted so badly to fit in and be friends with these super cool instructors, I felt like I couldn't talk to my manager about how I felt because she was five years younger than me and consistently bullied me by telling me no one who worked there liked me. The pandemic has showed me exactly what the company values, and I'm honestly glad that I escaped that culture. At the end of the day, I feel a bit ridiculous for ever having loved SoulCycle as much as I did. Why did I want so badly to win the approval of the instructors? They were just normal people riding bikes that go nowhere and telling us how to ride hours. They prey on people to come come to keep coming back for that validation. And I was one of them. That's a really interesting point that this person made is obviously working at the desk. It's different than being an instructor, but I think that there's this like glamorous or like exclusive connotation that comes with working there in any capacity and it is mostly janitorial work if you're not an instructor. Most of it is cleaning and organizing. And for the record, there's absolutely no shame in that type of work. I just think it's so farcical that, you know, SoulCycle makes themselves seem like Soho House and that, you know, it's like an honor and a gift if you're able to work there in any capacity when really most of your time is gonna be spent cleaning up other people's sweat and dealing with their bullshit. So this next email letter is from another former high profile instructor. Um, she accidentally and very unfairly got thrown into a very public scandal when her boyfriend, who was also a high profile Soul Cycle instructor, publicly cheated on her for a very long time um, with the girlfriend of the owner of another high-profile media company. I'm being really careful not to name names, but if you guys were following along with this a couple years ago, you'll know that like a tremendous amount of uh, focus and attention was put on this from the followers of one media company towards SoulCycle. But as we'll hear through her story, what's actually really interesting... No one paid attention to how SoulCycle handled it on their end. And really, our friend who sent this letter was the person who was stuck on the shit end of the stick. So she gave me a lot of information about her whole journey with SoulCycle, but I'd like to work in reverse and start with her answer to me emailing her, asking her for some more information about the way this scandal was handled. So blank, very popular male-dominated media company, backed me up, and genuinely felt bad they had me in this mess. Blank, president of the company, was so kind to me and checked on me while Soul Cycle tried to force me not to speak to him. They bought her ex-boyfriend a bodyguard and sent me a PR girl to take my classes so that I wouldn't speak to anyone about the situation. They said it was his personal life and it had nothing to do with Soul. They allowed the girl he cheated on me with to stalk and harass me. And when she walked up to me an inch from my face, I asked her to stay away from me or I'd be forced to take legal action. She cried to corporate and they comped her a 20 pack and I had a three day suspension. They also scheduled her ex-boyfriend and I back to back Because all his bully girl groupies would fill our classes back to back just to watch us interact. I asked them to switch him since I had seniority and they said I could drop the time slot. The issue was it was my most consistent money making sellout in an environment where they were consistently dropping pay. It was also my pride. I was humiliated by her ex-boyfriend and then by SoulCycle. I didn't want to wave the flag and let him have Sunday in Soho, too. Also, her ex boyfriend has no driver's license, yet they gave him a luxury vehicle to drive in the Hamptons. He then partied in the Soul House where you aren't allowed to have even your mom stay. He is awful, and so are they. And now here's her full Soul Cycle story <clears throat> I lived in NYC and LA, so I was bi coastal. I did work with some famous instructors, Charlie, Melanie Griffith. I worked at Union Square, NoHo, along with West Hollywood, Brentwood, and Newport Beach. I was also sent to the Hamptons in the summer. I watched bad behavior be rewarded constantly with Hampton stays. An instructor told me they had no driver's license. The company knew this. Then they gave him a luxury vehicle to ride in the Hamptons. I was a huge fan of Soul Cycle before working there. I grew up an athlete and had relocated to L.A. to work on a project. I would go take classes after being frustrated, and I would feel instant relief when the lights went out. I've also always been a self-admitted workout addict. I believe it's addictive for many reasons after teaching there for five years. It gives everyone, misfits and popular kids, a place to be a part of something. You lose yourself in the dark room, everybody moving in sync. It's almost like the phenomenon you can experience at a rock concert. People move together. Energy is exchanged. That shit is incredible. The front row riders are the most addicted and nearly perform in their place, competing with the familiar faces in the room and hazing the new faces to their favorite instructor's class. Also, endorphin high is a real thing. I often compare this to being on an airplane. No one can reach you and your time for that moment is yours. My audition process was pretty grueling. I was in training for two and a half months while they decided what market to throw me in. Melanie was angelic, as was Danny and Parker. Janet was an emotional terror, and she said to me, if the writers don't want to be you or fuck you, you're not doing your job correct. That is verbatim. Janet used intimidation tactics throughout training and would talk shit about people you admired or loved to try to make you feel small, but I was an athlete trained by Russian teachers, so I was honestly not affected by her. She is poison, and I just ignored her. I never experienced body shaming or racism personally, but I do know what happened. I actually had an ex who worked for the company who they liked better. The breakup was ugly, so I experienced the flip side of interacting with clients. If I made a form correction or told someone to get on the beat, literally, hey, ride with your knees pointing forward, or simply, hey, no phones in class, I would get punished, written up, suspended with no pay. Ironically, my suspensions were only ever scheduled when I had paid time off. There is most definitely a cult energy. People live and die by this brand. When I departed, I'm not going to lie, I had a weird feeling that I wasn't sure what I was going to do or how I was going to operate without soul in my routine. Boss is a broad term at soul, and if you ask me who my boss was, I don't really know who I would point to first. When I got the job, I thought the day would come where I felt accomplished, where I felt I was successful and important. But the truth is, I continued to feel smaller and insignificant the longer I worked there. There isn't and never will be enough glory in this job for me. I was very accomplished. I taught every single day to sold out rooms of people who only wanted to be near me because I was a soul instructor. However, it never fulfilled me. I had a very accomplished musician compliment my class. I was flattered but extremely envious of his position and ashamed of my own. Soul Cycle tells you to be a quote, celebrity writers can have a smoothie with. I hated this analogy because we're not fucking celebrities. And also there are a billion of us. So then the next question I asked was, what was the craziest shit you've witnessed or done? And she gives me a bunch of answers. I had a woman sob over her handlebars during a Taylor Swift ride and tell me she took sleeping pills and drank wine. I had a woman tell me to go fuck my, no, I had a woman tell me, go fuck yourself, you skinny cunt. Because I said, pick your elbows off the handlebars. I was stalked by a rider who slept with my ex so much that she was waiting outside my apartment, outside my classes, and at restaurants I was in. When I confronted her and told her to stay away from me, SoulCycle wrote me up. SoulCycle isn't healthy. It can be if you walk in and teach and leave. If you involve yourself in the culture and the staff, it becomes toxic. I left because I was overworked. The pay scale was consistently being cut, and I was 90 pounds. I would involuntarily cry while speaking to my mom, cry myself to sleep when I knew I had a 6 a.m., and I had no friends that did not take my classes. I missed so many Christmases and other holidays with my family to teach, with the promise of reward and status, promotion, and paycheck that I simply never experienced. I once went to pee and cry in the bathroom after a sold-out weekend class, and I heard girls in the bathroom telling each other, I hate that stupid fucking bitch. She thinks she's so hot, and she isn't. Then they imitated my body movements. When I exited the bathroom stall, they profusely apologized. Why did they come to my class every week to throw negative energy at me? Waste their money? It was truly the worst job I ever had. But... I did get a few lifelong friendships out of it that mean the world to me. I would never suggest someone pursue a future with the company. They favor male employees and value them way above women, which is ironic because it was founded by women. I know for a fact men make more than women. I saw my ex's paychecks and he was brand new. I was already there two years. My retail allowance was $91. His was $365. What the fuck, guys? Honestly, <laughs> like, honestly, even though we are barely into this episode, if those of you who are listening to this are still Soul Cycle fanatics, like, I hope by the end of this episode, <laughs> you won't be. Now for the voice notes.
1: I was a front desk girl, and I can give you a resounding fuck no. I was never a fan of Soul Cycle. Um, Leading up to my job there. In fact, I made fun of it all the time. One of my best friends told me when I got the job, she said, if you were to tell me five years ago, Donald Trump will be president and you will be working at SoulCycle, I would first believe that Donald Trump would be president much more than I would ever believe that you would work at SoulCycle because I hated the program so much. But um, I was a writer, I was working isolated at home, um, and it can be a really depressing experience, and so, like, while I was making money and was successful, um, it became clear to me I needed, like, more healthy influences in my life, and I needed to get out of the apartment more, and I did have time in my schedule to, like, get a part-time job, so why not work at a fitness studio? The clients were actually pretty easy for me to deal with. And I think it speaks volumes for how toxic the soul cycle culture is if one of the easier parts of your job is dealing with Frankie Grande, who is without a doubt one of the most obnoxious celebrities to ever walk the planet. That's honestly how toxic it was. Client relations was not that bad. However, we weren't one of the studios that had Akin, and Akin is. Far and away, one of the most popular instructors SoulCycle has ever had. And I remember hearing this horror story at one of my training sessions at corporate. Um, One time, the calendar online didn't update the fact that Akin would not be showing up to class that day. And so there, there would be a substitute. And all these women came in and they were screaming at the front desk staff. Until they cried. Like the girls, once the whole class got settled in, the girls all went back to the back office and cried because they were so traumatized because all of these riders were screaming at them, abusing them, because Akin didn't show up and it wasn't even their fault at all that Akin wasn't able to come to class that day. Cycle makes you go to this hospitality history and brand training once every few months to indoctrinate you with the pillars and dogma of their brand. It's like... Five hours long, yet they still fail to teach you about the biggest shit show to ever happen in Soul Cycle history, and that's their feud with Barstool Sports. Barstool and Soul Cycle actually have a lot in common in that they both have amassed such obsessive cult followings, and so it's kind of hilarious and perfect that they end up having such beef if you want to call it that, because they both ended up making a lot of money off the whole situation with Barstool making a bunch of page views off the whole thing and content and SoulCycle. I'll get into that, how they made so much money. Um, I can't underscore, underscore enough, though, that while Barstool's had its fair share of con- controversy, it's actually SoulCycle that does not get called out nearly enough for the role they play in the situation. Actually, I don't think they get called out at all. This 20 year old girl, Jordan, moved to New York to live with her 40 year old boyfriend at the time, Dave Portnoy, who just happens to be the bar- president of Barstool. Like every girl in the city, she ended up becoming part of the Soul Cycle cult, and she ended up having an affair with Sam Y. And Sam Y X, like he's a 20 year old, but he actually was pretty much twice Jordan's age, from what I hear. And <laughs> Jordan got more hate than I can even fathom in this whole situation, and the thing is, she really was just a kid, so. I feel really bad for her, but I also feel just as bad, if not worse, for Sam Y's girlfriend, Paige, at the time, and she was also a Cycle instructor. Sam Y and Jordan had an affair for a while, and the entire staff at Sam Y's studios knew. What's especially shitty is that Paige worked at all those same studios. So the staff saw Sam Y. canoodling with Jordan and leaving with her all the time. And they knew what was going on. The truth finally came out when
2: Jordan's
1: text got found out by Dave. And then Dave blasted the whole drama to the internet. And the thing is, Sam Y. and Paige were on vacation. And Paige found out because Barstool fans were trolling her Instagram account. And she was just like, what the fuck is going on? To her boyfriend. And so Sam Y finally had to come clean. I remember hearing that as soon as Paige came back from that vacation and got back to the studio, she stormed in and said to the front desk staff, so you knew, when were you planning on telling me? It's fucked up. They were actually never planning on telling her at all. SoulCycle will shove all this we're a family bullshit down their employees throats constantly. But the thing is, when it actually comes time to, you know, act like a family, they won't stay true to that at all. Things got worse from there. Paige and Jordan got relentless harassment because it was aired out all over the internet. And yeah, I really do feel bad for Jordan still because she really was just a kid when this all happened. You do the stupidest shit when you're 20. Even worse, Samwise dalliances ended up getting him a lot of attention, and a lot of women wanted to come in to see this guy for themselves. He accrued such a following that he got more classes and eventually got promoted because everyone wanted to come in and see the drama. All while Paige had to watch her piece of shit—yeah, I said piece of shit—boyfriend thrive. From what I hear, she would teach her class and go back to the back office immediately after and cry. No one could survive that kind of trauma. I don't know how she did it. And again, this is what I heard Soul Cycle pushed her out of a job. Again, so much for being a family, right? And still, after all this drama, Sam Y just kept on being Sam Y. He'd bring his girlfriends or whoever he's dating into the Soul Cycle studios, all while sleeping around with his other writers. Like, even if he wasn't in a committed relationship, he was still. Like playing women and objectifying them. And they were clients. That's
3: messed up. So I started working at SoulCycle in the spring of 2017. And I stayed with the company all the way until September of 2020. Um, And I was working in the DC market. I worked at two different studios. One that was a pretty high revenue studio. um, And I was front desk there for two years. And then I worked in a... Uh, What's considered like a lower revenue studio for a year as a manager. When I started, I had just turned 21 um, and I was a student in the area. And so I was actually a transfer student. And so I had transferred from a different school, didn't have very many friends, was living off campus of my school, um, right around the corner from SoulCycle. And so I had started going the summer before I started at my new school um, and really was envious of kind of like the uh environment and the friendships that I saw there mainly just the fact that like a soul cycle is pretty well stereotyped for having you know skinny blonde smiling girls behind the front desk um and I would say that that's not necessarily always the case but it was at the case it was definitely the case in the studio I started going to um and that myth of like the, the happiness of SoulCycle was definitely something I was looking for. I wasn't ever really a fanatic and I can tell you from uh, both being part of the hiring process and being hired myself that it's very rare that fanatics get hired. Um, it's, you know, it, it's not going to make a lasting employee for if someone is actually super obsessed because then they're usually only obsessed with writing or they're obsessed with instructors and they're not actually obsessed with like being a good employee so um, i had actually only taken probably around 30 classes when i got hired the main thing that was really interesting and this is something from a uh, manager perspective as well is that when we received retail shipments we'd get a couple of two twos a, a ton of fours a ton of sixes and then usually it was like two eights one ten and no sizes bigger than that and so anyone who was a 10 which so when i started out at the company um i was coming off of a pretty serious mental health issue which I'm still dealing with now but at the time I had recently put on a a good amount of weight in like a very healthy way I was on the bigger end of what the girls at the front desk were like tons of people doing beach body everyone was doing a different diet (laughs) you could always see either someone was eating a big box of french fries Uh, in the back office or it was everyone was on a like a celery juice cleanse for a while the way that the manager system is structured they don't give you any time to really take care of yourself you're encouraged to uh, ride to take a class instead of taking an hour-long break to let's say like eat lunch or you know spend time outside Um, instead they do want you to get in there and and take class instead Um, which meant that most of the time I was eating very unhealthy foods I was augmenting my stress, my work stress by stress eating. Um, and there were instructors who would regularly comment on the fact that I was like, maybe had the only food option near me was McDonald's. And so maybe I had gone across the street and grabbed some McDonald's and, and I would have instructors commenting on that. And I can say that when I, when the studio shut down for COVID in March of last year, I was the least healthy I have ever been in my entire life. Um, I was the the heaviest I've ever been. And I'm not saying that like weight and health are correlated. You can be perfectly healthy and be someone who is bigger, but I was not. And I had not created healthy habits for myself. Um, And so leaving the company was kind of one of the best things I could do for my health. I've lost 50 pounds in the last year. um, And I've learned to have a relationship with food that isn't reliant upon what the people around me are doing, which was definitely a thing at SoulCycle. One thing that was a big issue that I dealt with when I was there, when the Stephen Ross scandal uh, happened, and I say that because that's the best way I have of describing what happened. In case listeners aren't aware, uh, it came to light that Stephen Ross, who's the owner of Related Companies, which is a partial owner of Equinox and thereby SoulCycle, was hosting a fundraiser for Donald Trump. Uh, We felt really betrayed uh as employees and not only that we were kind of left stranded to fend for ourselves in addressing the controversy because what happened was uh like Andy Cohen and Chrissy Teigen jumped on it pretty fast and said on their social media that if you are someone who goes to SoulCycle you should call now and cancel your membership which we didn't have memberships but that definitely like incited the flames basically people were going online and Googling SoulCycle DC so that they could call someone and yell. And it was, I was alone in the, in the studio answering phone calls from people who were incredibly angry. And the whole time I was doing this, I was reaching out to people in headquarters, people who were um, ahead of me, you know, my superiors asking, what should I say? How do I communicate this with them? Do we have any information and how involved is Steven Ross really with the company? And was getting crickets or was being told that if this is the only time people are interacting with SoulCycle, it's your job to show them that we're a kind and accepting place. And so I was basically put at the front lines of people of, of a shit storm that uh, I was not prepared to handle. I was not a PR team. I was a 23-year-old girl trying to deal when, with old men screaming at me that I should quit my job because I am a bigot if I support this. And I, I'm very much not. And... And in hindsight, I should have quit. Uh, it's tough to say that to someone when it's their only income, and, you know, that's really hard there. But I, I allowed the company to lull me back into this feeling of righteousness, of, of oh, well, they just don't know us, oh, you know, it's it's different if you were actually a person here. We're a safe space, and 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 in reality, it's not. I speak for myself when I say no one in my studio was a Trump supporter. We were all appalled by that, and and it's just one of the one of the many examples of the ways in which they don't support their staff. It's it's really hard to talk about because it was really a tough time. Um, but the in just the same way, something happens when a cult is happening i was brainwashed right back into it i railed against cancel culture i was like i was being canceled um i told everyone that they just didn't know what they were talking about and i was wrong and but i was led to believe this stuff by the people above me
4: i worked at soul cycle in washington dc there are four locations i worked at 14th and U. we were known as the most urban of all the soul cycles in DC simply because our studio is in a location that is not fully gentrified yet, whereas the original studios and the ones that came before us were in white areas, such as Georgetown West End, which is by George Washington University, and Mount Vernon, which is, I guess, downtown for all intents and purposes. But um, when it comes to famous instructors, we have one of the highest paid soul cycle instructors, Kathleen, who worked out of 14th Street. She was well known for being a bit of a diva, To this day, she's featured in soul promos. They use her for advertising. They use her face, her likeness for many things. And she was one of the instructors in the first round of, I guess the best way to frame it is virtual instructors when they brought soul bikes or like soul classes into people's homes. I was a front desk associate. I so desperately wanted to be as good as the people in the front row and I wanted to feel as good as I felt like they might've felt. And It was just such a satisfying thing too, like the endorphins, the rush you get from that was absolutely positively unmatched. I kind of became fanatical because like I said, I didn't really have friends in the district when I first moved in and I realized I really liked my instructor. At least I think it was less liking her as a person and more liking her as the performance she put on to be an instructor. I think many instructors are themselves when they teach but it's definitely a refined version of self where they completely shut out all bad qualities and it's like this perfected version of who they are and she just seemed so cool and all the people who loved her seemed cool and I wanted to be a part of that. So I started writing in her classes and then I started working there and became even more obsessed and they were kind of like quote-unquote crews, like the instructor's fan crew or fan group who'd follow instructors from studio to studio. I wanted to be in with that. They all seemed so cool. I'm pretty sure it was because they were all older and had money and looked like they had their lives together. And I was extremely depressed another aspect i think i was in a very vulnerable place at that time because i was essentially alone in dc my mental health was already really bad and my self-image was also horrible to the point where i got into this habit of waking up in the morning getting a croissant before going to school or something going to classes coming back and then taking one or two classes in the afternoon and I'd feel so accomplished for having eaten next to nothing and then busted my ass for over an hour. It made me feel like I was one step closer to being the fit, toned, perfect example of a rider that's out in the front row. I think other people get fanatical because there's something inclusive and exclusive about Soul Cycle and boutique fitness. You feel like you're better than everyone else because you're shelling out $30 a class to do some workout that you really could do anywhere else. But what you're getting out of it is the branding, the aesthetic, the smell of SoulCycle and the Lilabo products in the bathroom and the water bottles and everything. It feels like you're a part of something that is welcoming but entirely exclusive. I think it's that combined with the endorphins. It's such like a heady and potent mix. So in terms of crazy things that I did see, so quite often we would resort to going to McDonald's and it was on one day where I was working by myself with the manager that I was like, I'm going to go to McDonald's. Can I get you anything? And she was like, no. And she was like, but before you go, can you change out of your shirt? and put on a sweatshirt. I didn't understand why at first. And she explained that the clients had seen SoulCycle employees walking into McDonald's with their SoulCycle shirts on and felt that it wasn't appropriate and didn't like seeing us there and even went as far as to write a complaint to your soul matters which was like the customer service part of soul cycle um and our studio was directly told that we had to kind of tighten up could it be seen in soul cycle apparel at mcdonald's because mcdonald's is just not on brand for soul cycle the worst part about that is that we're not making enough money to really get food from anywhere else on the street it wasn't often talked about but there were writers who would poop on the bike or pee on the bike. And there's a term that is used outside of SoulCycle but was widely used throughout SoulCycle, waffle stomping, which means, you know, somebody takes a poop in the shower and then tries to shove
5: it down the drain with their foot. I was an instructor in 2016 for SoulCycle in Chicago. I moved to Chicago in 2015 from Los Angeles. And so I was teaching a bunch of different fitness classes all over the place trying to figure out where I would kind of fit in and want to spend the majority of my time. I was approached by a SoulCycle instructor from New York that was in town opening up the studios for Chicago. The appealing parts were that you could teach 12 fitness classes or cycling classes a week and get full-time benefits. I at the time was probably teaching 25 to 30 classes all around the city um, and trying to just make a living and find, again, where my home was going to be. So this seemed like really appropriate time to maybe commit to one company. When they accept you, you have about one month to get your affairs in order and move to New York City for eight weeks or longer. They do not put you up in any apartment. You have to figure that out yourself. And where their studio is for the training is one of the more expensive areas (laughs) to live in New York City. Um, They pay you minimum wage four hours a day, five days a week for eight weeks. And I really took it seriously because I thought okay, I'm investing all this time and money in this company. They're, they're investing in me as well and will take care of me. That was my mentality on that. And I was very wrong. But what ended up happening was they wanted me to move to Texas or I think the other city was Boston because that was going to be another new market. And I did not know that um, they really pushed that because there was no opportunity in Chicago. And this was about maybe six months of me telling them I wasn't willing to relocate. I told them probably four to five times during this whole process I wasn't willing to relocate. And so when it was time for me to leave New York, they tried to get me to stay and then uh, gave me one class in Chicago. So you cannot make a living teaching one class a week. So I had to find new jobs again. When they gave me feedback on my class about maybe four months into working for the company, they had told me that they wanted me to uh be a better performer in my classes so one of the things they mentioned is that they wanted me to go to second city and maybe take improv classes because that was right down the street they did not offer to pay that so i had to pay another 400 out of my pocket to to take six week course at second city which i don't regret it was an uh, awesome experience but at the same time when a company tells you this will better your career and help you out I would have maybe expected them to pay for some of it, but that was not the case. On top of that, um, about three weeks, four weeks into my Second City training, I got a voicemail from the HR department saying that I was let go from the company. Uh, I couldn't get a hold of anyone else after I was let go. I tried to, you know, the studio. In Chicago was really upset they had no control over it it was all corporate driven and that was my experience at SoulCycle so I spent thousands and thousands of dollars um, to become a SoulCycle instructor ended up only working for the company for six or seven months Because
0: SoulCycle is ultimately dependent on the responses and the attitude of the clients, the participants, the people on the other side of the podium, I thought it would be equally valuable to also get their point of view and i specifically wanted to hear from people who suffer from eating disorders or who have found that the way that soul cycle is structured has exacerbated their relationship with food their relationship with their body self-esteem issues or just general addictive tendencies here's what some of them had to say
6: the thing that's like kind of interesting or crazy whatever is that once you sort of like get trapped in the cycle of soul cycle <laughs> um, you start to sort of like pick up the lingo and, you know, go, you go more often. Like, I, I mean, I guess I can't speak for other people. I can speak for myself, but like once I sort of got the hang of it and started feeling like I was getting good, good at Cycle, I was going even more. And then like The instructors started to know me and like I started to form relationships with them. And then they sort of expect you to to see you in their class. And they kind of like reinforce this encouragement because they call your name out in class and you know they expect to see you. And when you don't go to, you know, one of the classes you regularly go to, they notice and may even message you on social media. Or, you know, the next time you see them, they're like, I haven't seen you in a while, or vice versa. So I think because a combination of like this sort of like community that is definitely toxic, but in a way like it's this psychological thrill that you kind of like become part of this thing and then you sort of get wrapped up in it. And next thing you know, like I was going to, you know, three or four classes a week, if not more sometimes twice a day, you know, with the same crew of people sitting in the same seats, like expecting the same music and the same, you know, same sort of like themes and whatever it was.
7: So I definitely always had an obsession with food. Like I always felt that I had to work out in order to eat, which is really crazy. I've definitely like struggled since I was in high school. My sister started going to Soul Cycle when she was probably in her early 20s and I went with her and I remember just like the first time doing it being so addicted because you don't you sweat like no other. You they tell you in the class that you're going to burn like 3000 calories just a very unhealthy um place in every way, but I have an obsession with it. So to be honest, I would never want to blame My eating disorder or eating obsessions on anyone, but I would definitely say the instructors do not help. They all have an unhealthy way of looking at bodies and workouts. You could tell in the workouts they want you to sweat as much as you possibly can. Um, One time, my sister and I tried a new instructor and he was very popular at the time sleeping with a ton of his students but i was so obsessed with like being important in his class that i went to it and all the girls in the front row were models complete models and they were doing this secret choreography and my sister and i were looking at each other like why can't we keep up we're so good at soul cycle and he said if you don't know the choreography just sit and pedal so he wanted no part of you if you were fat and going slow. He just shouted out the beautiful skinny girls in the front row. I definitely have some sort of high and a rush before I go in knowing that I'm going to like work my ass off and do whatever the instructor says. Um, Afterwards, I feel completely depleted of all my energy. But since you're around so many skinny people, you're like, well, I'm going to go get a green juice now because I want to look like everyone here. Some instructors are definitely uplifting and have a healthy sense of body body i guess and some of them you could tell are struggling with their own eating disorders so and the funniest part about having the at-home soul cycle bike my roommate actually pointed this out to me is that i'm even more obsessed when i'm alone even though the instructors aren't there i'm like i have to get 100 percent, or it means i'm not skinny because if these people can handle this whole class without stopping then so can i How much the instructors pressure you in the class to be perfect definitely trickles down to me riding at home and feeling like I have to strive for that perfection even when there's not an instructor in the room with me.
8: I started going to SoulCycle in early high school in 2009 or 2010 because my best friend was going and I envied her body, among other things. I was already working out a bit, but I was super intrigued by the intensity and like the vocabulary around Soul. I would look around, seeing everyone just so into it and into that they were into it. There's Lululemon everywhere, obviously and that very like, particular smell of the grapefruit candles mixed with sweat, this is pre Santal 33. It just had this very exclusive air about it. Like Even the sound of cycling shoes like snapping into the bikes, clicking into the bikes felt branded. And it's this culture of obsession too. This best friend who I was going with would talk about classes that she went to with her sister, who was also in high school with us, this very like, type A overachiever, we both looked up to her that her sister would leave class to vomit and come back in. And she said this in this like admiring tone almost, or maybe she would say with concern and I was just projecting my admiration onto it. I think, wow, well, you know, if Emily is that dedicated to the ride, then maybe I'll also get into Yale or go down a size or whatever it was if I stick with it too. Just like this idea of the balls to the wall commitment to the ride, to the pack, and like making your way towards the front rows of the class just felt like a total accomplishment because it meant two things. It meant the instructors might like point you out, cheer you on, and that like the rest of the class would get this great view of your ass and that they would be able to look up to you too. But that was a double-edged sword too, right? Because like did the blonde girl behind me see my body as a goal or was she hyper fixating on every jiggle as motivation to turn up her own bike's resistance? It's completely insidious, Um, but like staring at people in the class whose bodies I didn't like sometimes served as better inspiration than staring at those whose bodies I did like. One time after class, this was probably one of the first classes I'd gone to alone, I'd gotten super lightheaded, nearly fainted when I was about to leave the studio. I was pretty embarrassed that I, that maybe that suggested I couldn't handle the intensity of the class, but I was also proud of having noticeably pushed myself too hard. And one of the women working at the desk, one of the front desk girls, came up to me and generously offered this free bottle of smart water to drink from before leaving. And I felt so like seen and supported by them, obviously to feel like free water is a luxury, is that shit. Um, but to be clear at this point, I was like 15, maybe 16. I would think about how many songs it would take to burn off everything I'd eaten that day. I definitely started to associate my being able to eat much with like good days where I didn't set down the weights during the arm section or leveled up or whatever. And just the whole energy of like the post Thanksgiving purge rides, you leave it all on the bike, come for a double session, it really got to me. It of course got to everyone.
2: The first time that I tried Soul Cycle was in 2015 with my roommate. I saw Vanessa Hudgens posting on Instagram and I was very interested in what it was. And I had just moved from Brazil to New York City for college and I was just immediately hooked on it. The dark rooms, the loud music, the people moving at the same pace, the choreography, the chanting, the candles and the cheesy quotes from the instructors. And I've always felt really out of place um, because it didn't look like anyone there. I didn't look like any of the people that they would promote on social media, uh, at least in the studios that I did frequent. I never really had a real relationship with any of the instructors or the front desk because of their superiority complex. I always thought, and still to this day, I think that, They're holier than Tao for some reason because it just felt like I was never good enough. So if I wanted to be there, I had to earn it. So if there was one thing that I could do was to be really tiny. And one thing that I was really encouraged at my studio of choice was the back-to-back classes. And I would do those two to three times a week. And the days that I didn't do that, I would just do... The regular classes. Two or three months after that, I lost my period. But I think the biggest misconception about anorexia is that everyone doesn't eat, which isn't true. My anorexia was triggered by exercise addiction. When SoulCycle first introduced a summary of your your workout to the app, I just went crazy. And with the summary, there was a rhythm percentage, which measured if my cyc- my cycling was synchronized not only to the music but also to the instructor, and I went insane because of that. I injured myself trying to get a hundred percent, and that's when I stopped going. Not willingly, but because I was
5: hurt.
0: Now we're gonna shift to a slightly different angle. Um, a big part of the. General complaints against soul cycle has had to do with general sexual inappropriateness, hypersexualization um, we've heard reports of many instructors sleeping with their clients, but one of my listeners was brave enough to come forward and actually detail emotional abuse that she had experienced while in a relationship with Connor Kelly before he got quote unquote famous. If You guys remember from earlier in the episode, Connor Kelly was the instructor who came under a lot of fire for sleeping with many of his clients, including many of whom who were married when he was teaching in the Greenwich, Connecticut location. But I have to commend this listener for trusting me with her story via email, having the bravery to come out and say this type of behavior existed long before he was given uh, you know, a literal pedestal, a podium. And it is my sincere hope that if any of you listening to this have had a similar experience with Connor Kelly or any other Soul Cycle instructor, that this will encourage you to not only share your story with me, but share your story with the world and know that there are other people out there who have experienced something similar. So, um, I'm going to do this story as much justice as I possibly can. Here we go. I'm sharing this simply because I know what it's like to walk around seeing massive photos of your abuser on the sides of buildings and want to support the other women who are coming forward with their own experiences of abuse from the same person. The trauma that these women have experienced is real and valid and all deserve far more than what has been done so far. Connor Kelly and I met at a bar in college through mutual friends, and it started out innocent enough. He was very attentive to me, which I enjoyed and appreciated. After we started hooking up, things escalated fairly quickly. We were spending almost every night together away from my apartment and roommates. He would shower me with attention, gifts, and expensive dinner dates. We hung out with my friends often enough during the beginning of our relationship but the abuse really started after I moved in with him temporarily before my lease started. The first time he did something that really raised a red flag was when I went out of town with my family to my older sister's graduation. One night, I didn't call or text him since we had such a busy day and got back to the hotel pretty late. In the middle of the night, he kept calling me over and over and over again, freaking out about why I didn't call him. He claimed, via text, that I was out partying and cheating on him. My parents witnessed this in the hotel and were concerned about the incident. Who kept calling you last night, they asked. I called him the next morning while away from my family. I remember being outraged, telling him how inappropriate and unacceptable this behavior was and demanding that he not do it again. After that, he was constantly accusing me of cheating on him. If I came home from class or work and changed my clothes, he would berate me as to why and accuse me of trying to hide sleeping with someone else by changing my underwear. Once I moved in, he began monitoring my internet usage and would be hysterical if he saw that I had looked at a Facebook profile of another man. He would also get mad at me for not photoshopping out his pimples in pictures that I posted of us. If I attempted to spend time with my own friends without him he would become overly emotional and guilted me into staying with him. After that he began saying increasingly negative things about the people I spent time with. He said particularly demeaning things about several of my female friends in private as well as publicly. Anytime I would go out without him and didn't stay in constant contact I would be accused of sleeping with someone else. This happened so often that that over the course of our relationship, I wound up alienating most of my friends since it was easier to only spend time with him in order to avoid a fight. Once during a fight while I was still living with him, he punched the wall right by my head. The first time I tried to break up with him by suggesting that I move out, he guilted me into staying by insinuating that I didn't love him as much as he loved me. If I was angry with him over something that he had done, he would manipulate the conversation so that I wound up apologizing to him. This is something that started happening with more frequency during the last six months of our relationship. He expected that I always answered his phone calls and would take out his anxiety onto me if I didn't by aggressively calling and texting. This happened with such frequency that I started having my phone in my hand at all times in case he called. He would leave multiple voicemails sobbing while accusing me of cheating on him simply because I didn't answer the phone. I would have to call him throughout the day to check in, and if I didn't, he would call and scream at me. He had an insatiable appetite for sex. We would have sex for such long periods of time that I was frequently sore afterwards. If I didn't want to have sex with him, even if I was physically recovering from the last time, he would pressure me and persist until I gave in. He even admitted to encouraging me to smoke weed as it made me more amenable to his sexual advances. One time toward the end of our relationship, I started crying over how he had been treating me recently in the middle of having sex. He was alarmed by this and stopped to ask me what was wrong. I told him what I was upset about, but that didn't discourage him from wanting to finish. The next time I tried to break things off, I was successful. But later that week, he appeared unannounced at my home. He continued to knock at my door as well as call and text repeatedly. I know you're home. I pulled the curtain back slightly to look out my window to see if he had left and saw him standing outside my building, staring into the window that I was looking out of. I jerked away and crawled onto the floor to avoid being seen in the windows. I checked that the doors were locked and then called my parents for advice on what I should do. Ultimately, when I did have to leave my apartment, he followed me screaming about why I was doing this to him. I left the relationship feeling ashamed for some of my own atrocious behavior during this time, but deep down I know that I did my best to get through the situation in one piece. I remember being so paranoid after our breakup that he was still watching me that I would swear that I would see him driving around by my apartment. Years later, when I was attending my first session with a therapist to discuss some unrelated problems, she asked me about any troubling relationships in my past. I briefly described my relationship with Connor, and she pointed out that this relationship was a trauma and something that we needed to work through in addition to what I had originally come to her for. I declined, insisting that I was fine and focused on the, o- the other problems at hand. It wasn't until I saw the articles about Stacy Griffith lying about her profession in order to get a COVID vaccine that I came across the New York Post article describing how Connor preyed upon women during his time as an instructor with SoulCycle. Seeing this in black and white confirmed what my therapist had told me when she had only met me an hour before. Connor Kelly is so fucking abusive. I also received another story in the form of a voice note from a woman named Olivia, who was in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship with another Soul Cycle instructor, Mike Press. Um, I shortened Olivia's story for the sake of timeliness with this episode, but if you'd like more information about her experience, um, Olivia has spoken publicly about this before and she has a blog in which she uh, provides some more detail. So here's Olivia's story.
9: Hi Allie, my name is Olivia Atherton. So I I am comfortable sharing my name on this podcast, I've actually shared my name publicly and shared parts of my story publicly um, and I'm comfortable doing so. I've already dealt with all the death threats and everything. So the story begins in New York. It's May 2017 and I'm 20 years old and I didn't have a lot of friends. I was there for school. Um, I was still trying to figure out everything. I was from Kansas, you know. It was all a bit new to me and Um, I never dated. It was not something that was even on my radar, Um, but I went to SoulCycle. It was just kind of an escape from the realities of life of that particular year of trying to figure out myself and what I wanted to do. And that was where I met Mike Press. Um, So immediately he slides into my DMs and we end up out for coffee and one of the first things, you know, he asked me was if I, uh, or when I lost my virginity. And I said, oh, I, I haven't yet. Um, I was a, I was a virgin, and it was not something that I really ever cared or thought about, but I could tell it was something that really intrigued him. He told me he thought it was so, you know, he knew, he could he could tell that I was really innocent, and he really liked that about me, because... Um, cause he could teach me everything that I would end up knowing. And, you know, uh, at the time I, I thought he was so charming and attractive and funny. And so I didn't know any better. And so I, I overlooked it. Um, one other thing he said was that he thought I was 16 years old, um, which totally another red flag. Uh, he was 31 years old. So we had a wonderful first summer, um, We didn't sleep together because once he found out I was 20 years old, so not 16, but 20, um, he decided that he wanted to wait until I was 21. And so we did. So about a couple weeks later, I think, um, he comes up to my dorm room. I, you know, I had told him I was not wanting to do anything physical. It was just, I was just not in the headspace, not in the mood, didn't matter. Told him that, whatever. So, I went to take a shower. We had just taken a soul cycle class. He tries to break into the bathroom, tries to get my towel off, and I tell him, "Get out. you know this is not this is not how I want this happening. This is not what you think it is. just like, please get out, let me take a shower." whatever." So he pounds on the door. It's as if he's never been told no before, and I come back out he's um sleeping or appears to be sleeping, he rolls over and pulls off his pants and he starts begging me for a blowjob. And, you know, I'd never done that either. I was not comfortable. And in this certain situation, I was definitely, definitely uncomfortable and very anxious. And I kept telling him no. And I couldn't understand why when you told a man no, it meant maybe or it meant maybe I should you know, keep pressing her, keep asking her. And so 20 minutes, I had to give in eventually. Um, And it was just very degrading. And of course, I blamed myself at the time. I thought, you know, I'm just disgusting. Like, this is all I'm good for, I guess. So I, I didn't tell anyone. And after that, you know, he wasn't, he also wasn't happy with how that went. So gives me the silent treatment. Now, this um, cycle of abusive, coercive behavior just continues. This goes on for over a year. And, you know, whenever I would disappoint him, he would get very verbally abusive, just name-calling. He would, you know, tell me I was a slut, um, that he knew I wasn't a virgin when I met him, and that that was just disgusting, that I was dirty, that like who would ever want to sleep with me and then I didn't deserve any better than what I was getting because you know even though he hated me so much he was the only one who ever would get me he was the only one who would understand me because I was so fucking weird and um, that everyone thought I was weird he told me everyone my parents my friends um, everyone at the studios they just didn't like me and that they thought I was so strange and he you know really did his best to isolate me from everyone I knew and maybe even didn't know and everyone I loved. And I'm at this place mentally where I just feel like I can't take another hit. Um, It's like my whole life revolved around wanting to make him happy and I wasn't even happy myself. And so I walked to the Williamsburg Bridge with the intent on jumping and I, you know, didn't jump for a number of reasons, one of which was because I um, couldn't (laughs) find my way around. I didn't know how to get around the suicide barriers, um, but I actually called one of his friends. And he had no idea what was happening. I did not tell him, obviously. But he knew that I had problems with Mike. And he told me basically that I was that bitch and that I just had to keep pushing. And so I turned around and I went back home and I told myself that I was cutting Mike Press out of my life. Woo!
0: Ah! Guys, 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 that was a lot of information. That was actually an hour and a half of information. Some of which was incredibly juicy, some of which was incredibly disturbing, all very enlightening, eye-opening, world rocking, constipating, even. Listen up. If you, yes, you listening, know somebody who was a former instructor or employee or a victim of emotional or physical assault of a Soul Cycle employee, and you feel like they should share their story, please contact me. If you, yes, you are that person, please contact me. It is so important that people come forward and share their experiences because as we've heard from this episode, there are so many of you out there And by keeping things anonymous, you have the the, the full leeway to share all of the nitty gritty. And I can guarantee that those of you who were brave enough and gave me your time to share your experiences will inevitably encourage other people to come forward. That's how society works. It's scary to be the first person. It's scary to be the trailblazer. It's scary to think that you might be facing an angry mob, an angry army alone, a corporation alone. But if this episode has shown you anything today, I hope it has shown you that you are not alone. Every single facet of the soul cycle machine we have covered today, there are stories from all over it. It is a disturbing organization it is a money-hungry organization. It is an organization that preys on the weak, preys on the vulnerable, preys on the lost, the directionless. Cycle may be a great workout. It may leave you rippling with abs, but it's going to leave you fucking empty. So, Your feedback can be directed to my email, healthishell at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Allie Weiss World. My Twitter is exactly the same, at Allie Weiss World. If you want to get in touch with me faster, email is definitely the best way to go. Or if you want to tie a scroll, a a calligraphy covered scroll to a pigeon's foot and send it to where I live, if you can figure out my address, you are more than welcome to do that. If you can figure out where I live, you're also more than welcome to wait at my stoop for me to come home and catch me in the flesh. But um, feedback is, is so incredibly important to me here. I'm, I'm dying to hear what you think about all of these stories. If you have your own experiences that you'd like to share, come on. We can do this until the cows come home. I am your vessel. I am your mirror. I am your messenger. I will help you take down every single goddamn person who hurt you. So as I say every week, there are not enough words in the English vocabulary for me to to thank you and tell you how I feel about you giving me your time, your energy, your ears, your stories, your trust. And believing that I am an adequate platform for you to dump all of those things into. It really gives me a sense of purpose. It gets me out of bed every single morning. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week or whenever I decide to next put out an episode. Because as we've seen, I have not been playing by the rules recently. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it anyway. And okay, me stumbling over my words is a sign that I need to stop talking. Bye.